0: A big thank you to everyone tuning in and a warm welcome to the podcast and Starting and Scaling AI Ventures, where I would host AI leaders from all across the globe in an attempt to bridge the large gap of what it means to be AI-powered and how you can help your organization get there. The first edition of this podcast features someone I've known and looked up to for a very long time, Dr. Shailesh Kumar. Dr. Shalish Kumar is presently the Chief Data Scientist at the Center of Excellence in AI ML at Reliance Geo. As one of the top data scientists and renowned AI experts in India, he is a PhD in Computer Engineering from UT Austin in the year 2000 and has also worked as a Distinguished Data Scientist at Ola Cabs, as a researcher in the Google Brain and Yahoo Labs, principal development at Microsoft, and also founded his EdTech company called Third Leap. With more than 20 years of experience, Dr. Kumar has published more than 20 international research papers and holds more than 20 patents in artificial intelligence and machine learning. At Geo, he says he's reimagining education, agriculture, healthcare, mobility, energy, environment, safety, and security in the age of digital connectivity and AI. Thank you for taking the time out, Dr. Sherlesh, and a very warm welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us some interesting areas of work that you are undertaking as the Chief Data Scientist of Reliance Geo, and what a typical work day for you looks like?
1: Mm, great. So we're looking at three broad areas. One is, uh, you know, building the AI stack for India, which is... How do we think about the speech, uh, the NLP, the computer vision,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and the knowledge crop stacks, which are sort of the core foundations of any uh, AI company? Yeah. And uh, but how do we do it in the Indian context? So that is our one one of our key uh, building blocks, which is. Uh, how do we build speech for all the 22 Indian languages? How do we build language understanding among uh, in all the 22 languages and so on and so forth? Yeah. How do we build uh, you know computer vision APIs for different use cases like you know all the way from satellite uh, uh, spectral images. Uh, uh, what else is there? Like. Um, uh, healthcare images retail images yeah. uh, facial images all of that right uh, so uh, healthcare stack um, uh, vision stack uh, speech stack and, and all of that so that is one area yeah. second area is uh, uh, what i call ai for india as solutions so we are building solutions in agriculture and healthcare yeah. for using these technologies right so we are trying to think about uh, what is missing in the agriculture and healthcare ecosystem is this layer of sensors, the layer of data collection, the layer of analysis, and and a holistic um, uh, feedback to the farmers, for example, okay. based on you know the weather, the satellite, the soil IoT, the um, and all of that, so that the farmers can do their job better. Similarly, health advisories. Uh, we don't have an electronic health record in India, so we're trying to pick one.
0: Yeah,
1: And saying, okay, you know, can we integrate all of our health data in one place so that uh, very, uh, uh, you know, strategic decisions about our health can be determined and uh, delivered to us uh, so that we have a healthier lifestyle, right? So,
0: yeah.
1: those kind of health and agree stacks, uh, apart from... Uh, AI stack. And the third kind of thing we do is uh, around uh, AI for Reliance, which is... Hmm. uh, Reliance is multiple businesses as we know. And uh, so what does AI do in let's say the hydrocarbons and refinery business? What can it do in the telecom business? Uh, What can it do in the retail business and what can you do in the media business and payments business, right? So, for all the businesses that Reliance has, how do we think about how can we make them better using AI and machine? Right.
0: Yep.
1: And obviously, Reliance is a very data-rich company and, uh, you know, uh, we think about, you know, how do we utilize that data to bring, bring better services and products to our customers
0: Yeah,
1: is our uh, day-to-day job.
0: That makes Yeah, and, um, and
1: uh, a typical workday, I spend a lot more time—seventy percent, eighty percent of my time—brainstorming ideas with uh, data science teams yeah. and product teams, and think about you know how to improve products and services, and what are the areas where data science can help. And I work with data scientists in my team to to come up with new frameworks to to implement existing own frameworks to iterate over different kinds of models that we want to build on different kinds of data and and, uh, yeah mostly brainstorming and then uh, iterative brainstorming and keep improving our models and productionizing them.
0: Yep that makes sense and uh, I think um, again just touching up on what you just mentioned because I think the area of uh, all of these three verticals and, and particularly healthcare as you mentioned uh, if, if we look towards something like a social security, like how the United States has, I think that makes a lot of tasks easier for everybody involved in the system as well. Mm. Yeah. And, um, just touching up on your work with, uh, third leap since, uh, mm. Mm. I think, uh, even, even the topic of the book and the blog of course is, uh, entrepreneurship at large, since you've been very, uh, deeply ingrained with education tech and, uh, uh, you've you've started up yourself with third leap how did you particularly identify what problem you're looking to solve with uh third leap and and what was your jump into since you've been a part of very uh fundamentally amazing and large-scale organizations in yahoo google and uh, even microsoft to some extent so wanted to understand what made you make the jump to third leap and and how did you identify that this is something
1: that you wanted to solve yeah, so I was always uh, passionate about education and, uh, you know, I love to teach and communicate with students uh, in, in ways they can understand. But when I look at our education system, hmm. uh, you know, there are two, three problems. One is, you know, the way we teach our students
0: yeah.
1: is not uh, not to think or, you know, to apply, but we teach them to pass a test. Okay. And those kind of so the, the the methodology of education, at least in India, is how can I prepare you for an IIT exam? Right? Yeah. That's the end of what a twelfth grader does or or a medical exam or an entrance, right? Yeah. Right. And then we study for getting a job.
0: Yeah.
1: So nobody actually studies for how to learn to think, how to innovate, how to uh, you know, build products and services, how to connect and with people and and all that. So I, I was kind of not very, very admirable. by the way the education system has evolved and and it is a result of the need for people to, you know, start having jobs and contribute to society. So, I can understand. But uh, then I, the other problem was quality education at scale was missing, So, Mm -hmm. only the few elites who can afford expensive international schools or good schools and colleges can get good education. But the rest of us were stuck with, you know, whatever uh, schools that we were stuck with, right? right? So the poor quality of teachers, majority of the teachers, not uh, the. There are obviously great teachers in the country, but mm-hmm. they're not available to everybody. Right. right. So, uh, and uh, so this, this, uh, you know, although we have a subsechayan and all of that uh, on paper, but it is not going to happen unless we bring, uh, you know, education to the masses at the same quality level. Yeah, makes sense. Then, you know, when the MOOC revolution started and uh, then we realized the power of what technology can do Hmm. for education, right? And that's when, uh, you know, uh, I started thinking, oh, you know, I've worked at Google and all these companies. I've learned so much and I'm passionate about education and technology can really help change that. And, you know, we look at Khan Academy was the first one and then and then it all started. so we said, uh, you know, I said, okay, so what's missing, right? In mm-hmm. education, there are three, four things. One is obviously content. So we need great content and Khan Academy's, Coursera's of the world have done a great job.
0: Right.
1: In, yeah. in beautiful content by Jews and everything. Yeah. So the second thing we thought was, okay, content is great. Uh, you know, it's a very expensive thing to build mm-hmm. great content and all that. Yeah. Right. That is taken care of by one group of companies, right? Yeah. Now what else is missing in education? And then we realized that one of the key problems in education is, especially in math education was, you know, how do you create uh, um, sort of opportunities for students to learn uh, in a very different way? As in, imagine if I don't show you a full solution, if I just tell you that on this step, you have three options, which one will you pick? That is what makes a student think. So these kind of new paradigms we wanted to create and then for doing that, we want to first have an engine that can itself solve a math problem in all possible ways. So that became a fundamental technology. So that journey helped me understand how to connect a very important social need which is high quality education for the masses using technology to A core machine learning problem that needs to be solved if you have to do this. So, you know, how do we bring adaptive learning, uh, personalized curriculum paths, all of those became important pillars of what a a digital uh, education system should look like. And, uh, you know, many companies have tried these kind of things before, so we wanted to do it from two angles. One is how do we bring adaptive learning into the framework and how do we uh, build a system an AI system that can do problem solving on its own, because with these two, you we can now help kids learn how to solve and yeah. how to think, and uh, that is where we wanted to create a niche, and uh, that is how Third Leap came about. Yeah. and I realized that you know these kind of things are very risky, very forward thinking. Of you know, they are crazy in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, you know, big companies have an agenda, and they want to follow their agenda. And generally, this is a good time to do a startup. Yeah. And I, I highly encourage everybody uh, who is who loves technology and loves to solve problems for society
0: yeah.
1: to actually spend two three years of their life in a startup mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge learning experience, and uh, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you fail or succeed, but. It's a. it changes you in very interesting ways. So I think it was a great experience. I learned a lot of how to think about a product, how to build technology from scratch, yeah. how to do sales and marketing and how to pitch it to different people, VCs and others. Right. All that is a new kind of learning that happened yeah. as a result of, of those two years that I spent. In I think
0: that's that's a very interesting perspective on startups because a lot of people uh, these days just try to avoid uh, taking that risk. So very thankful for you uh, on, on that motivation again. And uh, just moving into the core questionnaire, of course, and this was more centering about uh, your, your expertise and your talk around uh, towards thinking machines uh, in the 2015 Fifth Elephant Conference, where you mentioned about... And, and you did intrigue the audience when you were asking about the atomic unit of, uh, say, language and atomic unit of uh, knowledge. So just wanted to extend that into a question of what you believe is every time someone builds a data science or an AI initiative in their organization, what is that one atomic unit that it should have before it, uh, the essential piece of sorts that it should have before you start building one?
1: Yes. So I think, you know, I I studied uh, in UT Austin and one of the classes I took was with Edward Dijkstra. Yeah. And he mentioned something very interesting and he said, look, you know, the entire solution will have many, many pieces to the puzzle. Right. And if you have a nag to find out the most difficult part of the puzzle. Yeah. Right. For example, in a car, you know, you can have fancy lights and nice seats and good AC and a good, uh, this thing. Right. But what is the soul of the car is the engine. Yeah. If you don't have an engine, nothing else will work. Yeah. So, if you want to build a car, you have to start with first building an engine. If you cannot do that, don't worry about it. Right? right? So, I think what is missing in a lot of... Uh, when when you say atomic unit, I want to call it the fundamental unit in the sense that, uh, you know, every data science problem, right. Not a There is no such thing as a data science problem, first of all. There is yeah. only a business problem. Yeah. And every business problem has a lot of bells and whistles and moving parts that can be solved in different ways. Yeah. But there is always a key element that must be solved before everything else can be wrapped around. Exactly. And to identify that key element is the key. Yeah. So, for example, in Google search, you know, indexing and crawling and all of that is not the key element. It is necessary, yeah. But the key element is the page rank calculus. Right. Key element is your ability to figure out how to do a uh, match, a search, and and all that. Then the key element is how to figure out how to use click data to improve your search. Right. If you cannot solve these key problems, the problem of uh, you know scale and uh, UI are the secondary problems. Yes. Yeah. So right. the problem of intelligence is the first problem. Mm-hmm and and generally people miss that. People start to think yeah. uh, about, uh, you know, uh, simple front-end kind of processes kind of things which are very straightforward, right? Yes, right, exactly. So if you look at yatra.com, for example, right, yeah. or any booking website, it's a very simple process and you can implement that process and there's nothing uh, to worry about it. But yeah. There, the problems are different. There, you know, scale is a problem and UI is a problem. Right. But when you're building an intelligent product, first you have to crack the intelligence problem, then you have to build the rest of it on top.
0: Right. That makes
1: right? Sense. So so that is what the the, the beauty of, of uh, data science thinking is, that a data scientist should be able to get to the core of, of what is the key, Uh, intelligence, unit of intelligence that I need, right? Like a transistor in the VLSI system. What is that key element that will make or break this whole thing? And once you identify that, you're done. And then you focus on that, you make that work well, then you have uh, the ability to build the whole thing around that. So, for example, in Thirdly, Mm -hmm. we figured out that the key element to uh, building, you know, what we wanted to build was an AI system that could take a mathematical expression and solve it. Right,
0: yeah.
1: I'm not here to change the education system in math, but yeah. Yeah. that will be a result if I could solve this fundamental problem first. Right? right. So, discovering that is the key. And, and you know, the same kind of thinking happens in product companies, right? Yeah. Why is WhatsApp so successful? Is They figured out the key features hmm. that must be there together right. to make a, a WhatsApp. Yeah anything right. more anything less is not going to work right and that is the knack of a product thinker or a data science thinker to find out that key foundation the core thing that will drive uh that product or service right and right. once you find that you know everything else is execution after that
0: yep makes sense and very uh, very interesting that you um mentioned the fact that the intelligence of the intelligent machine needs to be solved first because uh this also flows into the next thing that I wanted to ask you, which was uh, in this era, of course, which very, very large scale era of connectivity and automation, where everything is almost digital and although being automated to a huge extent, do you believe uh, and in, if do you believe that there are any societal or socioeconomic factors of sorts that need to take care of before, say, if if you're building for farmers or if you're building for education, if a lot of these things are eventually replacing low-level workers with their intelligence, uh, do you think there's some uh, factors that we need to take care of before we set these out for large
1: scale? Uh, so, is this a question around uh, replacing people in and taking away
0: jobs, kind of? Uh, uh, yes, primarily. Because, uh, okay. yeah, and, and I'll give you an example of sorts, which yeah. was, say, for example, um, a lot of What used to happen with amazon mechanical turks you know so say um uh, my product building my product searching a lot of that is now taken care of by intelligent machines and very task-based ai is at some extent replacing what uh, humans used to do at a lower level but also creating a different set of jobs for them so that switch sometimes is not easy for everybody because it may require upskilling reskilling so um it, it does affect the economy in some ways so, do you think it is uh, necessary to keep these into account before a large scale rollout of AI of sorts does
1: happen? Yeah, see, as you know, I think this is a very important question. It's more of a uh, uh, how do I think about this? So, see, there is evolution, whether it is natural evolution or evolution of technology, right. is inevitable. Right? Yeah. We cannot stop that. Yeah. So if internet has to come, internet has to come. Hmm. The librarian cannot say, I don't want internet. It will take away my job. Yeah? Right. Yeah. Um, if autonomous vehicle have to come, they have to come. The Uber Ola drivers cannot say that this will take away my job. Yeah. So there is an inevitability to technological progress. Yeah. Once we accept that, right? once we accept that paradigm, right. uh, we will become very comfortable with the paradigm. So, for example, when I finished my PhD and I, you know, in two thousand, yeah, um, the next day onwards, I started becoming obsolete, and I realized that very quickly right. that even if I have a PhD and this area has not yet, you know, two thousand is not when AI was at this stage that it is now. Yeah, I already knew that I have now started to become obsolete. Yeah. And this this acceptance of this idea that no matter what you're doing, if you don't worry that you are going to become obsolete if you keep doing the same thing for the next so many years, will keep you sort of complacent. Right. And you will stay there, right? Yeah. And, you know, it is a natural human tendency within a certain age group, right? After certain age groups, we cannot do all this. Right. Yeah. I understand that. But when we are in a prime of of youth, hmm. it is a natural tendency we should develop that we will keep up with what is coming, what is about to come. Right. Yeah. That's... One of the very important lessons I had learned from my own supervisors uh, and, and people I look up to is that they were not stuck on this I am. They were constantly discovering and rediscovering themselves. So they were not saying, no, no, I have studied distributed computing uh, in my PhD and now I am that person. And for the rest of the life, I'm going to remain that person. No, They morphed into big data computing guys. They morphed into machine learning and AI people. They morphed into, you know, now they're looking at quantum AI. So, people evolve Mm -hmm. as technology evolves and vice versa. Right. If this evolution we cannot accept, then we have a problem as a society. Right. Right. Otherwise, we'll remain, you know, uh, 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 this thing. Now, the real danger of of technology is not that technology will replace our jobs. The real danger is We will misuse it. So for example, you know, just because we can do fake news uh, through technology or keep fake through technology or, uh, you know, uh, change election results through technology, should we do it or not? Those are the real dangers we should focus on. These are two very different questions. There there are two different perspectives. The legal frameworks and everything has to be created differently for both things, Right? And yes, every society has its own pace at which it should accept a certain technology, whether it is possible or not. So, for example, if Europe and U.S. and other such countries are ready for Mm -hmm. autonomous vehicles without hurting a lot of people's jobs, they should do that. But if in India it is going to replace millions of jobs suddenly, it is not acceptable right now, even if it is possible.
0: Right, makes sense.
1: So there are ethical and societal constraints we have to keep in mind right. and uh, not uh, allow technology to take over because technology is not the reason we are. Exactly. Yeah. We are not here to serve technology. Technology is here to serve us. Yeah. And unless, if, if we don't get that part right, we are again going to miss the boat and put the cart before the horse. Right? Right. So if technology is not making us better in any way, like you know, for example, gaming technology, right? Right. Maybe I don't know what is the benefit of gaming technology. Everybody is very happy about game. Right? right. Yeah. Is that a very good use case of technology? Yeah. Right? No. Uh, think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, so obviously, it is up to us as societies and individuals to keep a check on you know what are the right use cases right. where you should be innovating and where you should not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and it is the same kind of legal framework that we have in. In our societies, right? What right. can you do, and what can you not do? Is governed by laws. You cannot just, uh, you know, cross a red light because you can. Right, right? exactly. Uh, it's the same principle here. So there's no difference. Right, and we should be conscious of that at all times. Right. And I keep telling myself, there are always two questions I can ask: Can I do it, and should I do it? Right. And the more important question is the "should I do it" question, not the "can I do it" question. and if you if you miss that and if you say can i do it therefore i should do it yeah then you will create deep fakes of the world and all of that because i can therefore i did it and that logic is what is responsible for a lot of destruction in 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 the world Mm. all the way from the nuclear uh, explosions in japan all the way to the world wars right because i can therefore i should right exactly that logic is wrong and that is where Technology is not the problem. Our ethical framework and human values is what is more important, hmm. which nobody is talking about. Right, of course.
0: Yep, that makes sense. And I think uh, very, very strong perspective. And I really appreciate the thinking of, well, of, of can and should because it's one of the first times I'm hearing something like this. Um, and I'm just uh, flowing into, since you did mention how some technologies, of course, as you said, if, if they can, if they have the potential to replace millions, they shouldn't be put out there just as yet. So um, from from the perspective now of, uh, and, and you spoke about problem formulation in one of your recent talks, So, just wanted to touch up on that a bit, because from the perspective of a new AI uh, startup or even an initiative that I'm planning to roll out in my organization, uh, is the future more towards... Uh, task-based innovation like uh, you know my manager said I want to figure out what kind of um, say opinions do people have about my drug about my product so is the future more towards task-based like I only go do sentiment analysis and master it or is it more towards general intelligence that I even do say an entity extraction or even do a sentiment analysis and club all of that and give a solution
1: yes very good question so so uh think of technology as a bridge between, uh, you know, the needs of people and what is possible, right? Yeah. So, now, if 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 I approach a problem from a single problem perspective and say, okay, what are people talking about my drug? Yeah. And as a data scientist from MLP background, you say, oh, this is a sentiment analysis problem, yeah. I will solve it. And then you are done with it. Then your boss is Oh, what about movies? People are talking about movies. Then we solve it. Then again, but if you don't see the connection that, oh, this is a horizontal framework, sentiment analysis is now a horizontal framework. Yeah. So how do I go from solving an individual problem to generalizing it to a platform? Right. That is one art. That we have to learn, right? right. The, if you are a pure consulting company, yeah. you would solve one problem for one guy, one, the same problem for another guy, a related problem for the third guy. Right. If you cannot see the connection that they are all supply chain problems, they are all sentiment problems, they are all uh, whatever, right? right. Uh, um, uh, fraud detection problems, yeah. and you cannot transform yourself from a problem solver to a platform builder, yeah. then you have not done the most basic thing that machine learning does, which is to generalize. Women are supposed to generalize. So when we solve one problem, we should start to generalize and say, what is the platform that is uh, coming out of this? And I see this problem in multiple verticals across multiple uh, domains and data types. Can I now create a general vertical for outlier detection? Whether I apply it to time series data, to, to do heart attack prediction, okay. or to geno- genomics data, or to uh, transaction data to detect fraud, it doesn't matter. Outlier detection is the framework, I need to learn. Right? Yeah. So that is one thing, which is how do you solve instances of problems and generalize to a platform? Yeah. That is one thing. This is how a technologist approaches and generalizes. Now, from the solution thinker point of view, if you say, "Look, a farmer is going to call me and ask for this advice, yeah. and I'm only going to build that product.
0: Right.
1: I'm not going to generalize because that is the only need." Then again, you're not creating a holistic solution. Right. So you have to say, again, from a from a problem perspective, again, you have to generalize and say, "Look, if I tell them the solution, hmm. then you know, if I tell them you have to put this pesticide and that uh, that uh, fertilizer and all that, yeah." is that enough? Or should I create a mechanism to deliver it? Right,
0: Right? exactly.
1: And when I'm delivering it, can I also think about taking the soil sample because I have sent a person there? Right, Right? yeah. And then can I do the next iteration on it? This is how a solution thinker has to generalize. So, both data science thinker have to generalize Hmm. from individual problems to platforms. And solution thinkers have to generalize from individual problems on the customer side Yeah. To a solution. Right. And both of us have to generalize. So then what we will realize is on one side, we have these horizontal platforms, right? right, That can do credit modeling, outlier detection, sentiment analysis, speech understanding, language understanding. So these are platform thinkers who will build these platforms. Think of Googles of the world who do this every day. And then there are solution thinkers, verticals, who say, look. My solution is going to need this from here, this from here, this from here, this from here. Right, right. And you know, in a very good example, I could tell you this in a different way, right? Yeah. So if you think about um, a farmer growing vegetables and and uh, all that, yeah. those are like horizontals. He doesn't grow it for this dish or that dish. Right. He grows it horizontally uh, deeply. So he says, I am a good cotton grower, I'll go grow good cotton forever and scale the hell out of it and make it better and better. That is like a speech guy improving speech system. If I'm a uh, potato grower, I'll do that to the best. So that is the producer side of thinking. But the consumer is a chef in a restaurant. He doesn't need only potato, he doesn't need only tomato, he needs all of it and high quality. So he is going to put all this solution together by using all these technologies that are out there. Right. Or, And then these two people have to talk to each other a lot. And great companies is a good combination of platform builders and solution thinkers.
0: Right. That is how
1: great companies are, if you look at any of the great companies. Yeah, that makes, um, in
0: fact, a lot of sense. And now when you say that it's, it's more uh, a combination of both of these things, uh, I oh. wanted to pick up on a point that you mentioned and flow it down to the sixth uh, question that we have was uh, you know a lot of what you said was also on farmer innovation at the cotton grassroot level right because all of this can also be um, you know moved around and at at a huge extent be made to grow intelligent of sorts even these very uh, processes at the bottom of our food chain and I just wanted to understand um, the perspective of yours on if, if you believe that AI is very paramount to a lot of these processes that we have in the world. There are only very few data monopolies of sorts in the world that we call, say, a reliance will have a lot of data at the bottom of the funnel, even a Bill and Melinda Gates foundation of sorts will have a lot of data, and Google, of course, does have mammoths, tons of that data. So do you think uh, in in the shift towards intelligence across, say, the next couple of decades to come, do you think it's important to let Say these larger monopolies take the lead towards intelligence because they will have most of the data required, or is it more towards leading towards the entrepreneurs that can solve micro problems within the
1: chain of sorts? Yeah. So again, a great question. So I think just because somebody has a lot of data doesn't uh, doesn't uh, create value, right? Yeah. Uh, and just because somebody can think of a solution by themselves yeah. without intelligence behind it, again, doesn't give them a lot of value, right? So right. I think these two people have to come together. Now, from an entrepreneurship point of view, there are two kinds of entrepreneurs. One are, again, you know, technology entrepreneurs who exactly. are going to create great technology. So Google is an example of technology entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then there are solution entrepreneurs, or like Amazon is an example of a business entrepreneurs, yeah. right? So, for Google, technology is primary, for Amazon, you know, retail is primary,
0: right.
1: the vertical, right? Now, both these are great companies, and both these use the other aspect well, right? Yeah. If Google could not have invented the ad system to make money, or if Amazon could not have invented, you know, the right use of recommendation engine and, and scale, yeah. yeah. both of these companies would have failed. So, it's okay to start as one kind of an entrepreneur right but know that you are going to need the other guy of course yeah so therefore the ceo and the cto right so that combination is very important right. what to solve and how to solve it together will make the whole thing work right right now you know now let's talk at uh, companies with data right so if you look at banks for example they've been sitting on lots of data for a long time yeah right? yeah but they had no clue how to utilize that data for example, to build a credit model. Right. So what happened? So companies like FICO came along in the US. Yeah. They figured out how to use that transaction data of people to create to create a credit score for people. Right. Now the the technology company, the AI company that figured out how to do, um, a, you know, build credit model had no transaction data. Yeah. But it figured out how to do it, and the banks are sitting on a lot of transaction data. They had no idea how to build a credit model. Right, exactly. They were doing it. Implicitly, they were doing it. Yeah. You know, they were thinking in people's mind how to think about credit, but they had not institutionalized that thinking into a machine learning system. Right, true. Right? So, you need an outsider all the time. And this is a very important insight. You always need an outsider to think differently about how to utilize your data. Because if you knew how to do it, you would have already used it well. Done it, yeah. So you need that fresh perspective, and that is what a good data scientist kind of a person should be able to do. You should be able to enter any kind of vertical and say, look, I'm going to give a fresh perspective to the data that you have. You have had this data forever, but I'm going to look at it very differently than you you have ever looked at. And I'm going to create new solutions out of it and unleash the real potential in that data. And that is the power that uh, a data science thinker has over a uh, person who just owns the data.
0: Right, right? exactly. And unless
1: they come together,
0: this is not the Right, that makes sense. And uh, of course, um, I, I did again uh, think data monopolies, which is why the reason I put this question was, of course, uh, a lot of people are very afraid to build the next search because google has most of the data so i think your question does answer that no but i'll
1: tell you i'll tell you what is possible right yeah. so so google has built a great search engine yeah and it is a very data hungry thing now within google most people don't understand when we say data they yeah. confuse there are two kinds of data one is the raw internet right. as is yeah Right? I can crawl the hell out of it, and it is uh, anybody can crawl it. If you had enough money and resources, you could crawl the whole internet and keep it in right. some place,
0: right? Exactly.
1: And you can keep doing it. That is not Google's uh, claim to fame. Yes, they have improved how to do crawling and deep web and all that. Right. But that is not what makes Google Google, right? right? Their ability to, the real data in Google right. is the click data that they consume. Right. When a person clicks on a certain result for a certain page, that is really data, right? True. Not the web data that they have crawled. That everybody can crawl, right? Yeah. The now, why is Google such a great search engine? Is because they have figured out how to utilize click data, right, to Feed improve into... search engine.
0: Yeah.
1: This right. mixture of the two, three things, right? The yeah. scaling thinking, uh, the data collection thinking, and. The intelligence that you can do at scale with that is what makes a complete successful company yeah so i think that is how we should think that unless i can do three things which is unless i have a mechanism to collect data yeah the seamless fashion without going overboard right yeah. uh, google uh, does not say did you like this result did you like this result? exactly yeah. give me a rating system yeah. it is implicit feedback so that is another innovation i talk about which is any company that is thinking and wanting to be an intelligence company should okay. start thinking first how to collect this kind of a feedback label data without messing up with the normal process of the user. Right. right. And once you can do that, then you have a cycle. Then you need to know how to utilize it to improve your services. Again, going back to what we said earlier, recognizing the core building blocks that you need. Yeah. Right? uh like for amazon it could be recommendation engine for google it could be you know page rank but right. once you recognize that core thing and then the rest of it is just engineering and scale on top of it right yeah. so that is how the whole journey should be think about we should not think data is a separate thing engineering and scale is a separate thing ai and machine learning is a separate thing yeah. they all have to blend together yeah. like our human body has all the systems they blend together to make us uh, what we are, right? right? We cannot say, no, no, respiratory system is more important than digestive system, no. Yeah, exactly. All We have to blend together, and, and that recognition is what we should appreciate in the other people. Right. That, you know, I appreciate an engineer in my team because he brings something different, and I appreciate the data guy in my team because he brings in a different uh, perspective on this. And together, we are going to, and the solution thinker brings in a different perspective. Right. And when you create these three people pods,
0: You will see the magic that comes. Of course, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, thank you so much for that. And uh, since, uh, of course, we're nearing the end of this conversation as well, just wanted to jump to the last question that I had for you. Uh, And this was more from all of your years of experience in data science and now leading one of the biggest organizations uh, moving towards intelligence in the world. Uh, Of course, a lot of people would like to know about that one thing that you believe. To be very true about AI and intelligence of sorts, that a lot of people don't agree with you on to a huge extent.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, I have made this very obvious that, you know, that um, the way we are practicing AI today, right, is very brute force. If I have thrown billions of data points and millions of parameters, like a deep network or something, yeah and I have created something magical right uh maybe this is how the brain does it maybe not but uh, uh you know this is what i call don't say, right even a human kid does not read that much of text corpus yeah. before it can understand meanings of words right, right. Yeah. so or we don't see millions and millions of images and learn how to see and recognize objects so right. I think the end goal of AI is correct, Right, we want to build the layers of uh, sensors, the layers of interpreters of the sensors, yeah. then the layer of uh, you know reasoning and thinking on top of it. Right. So I think we have all the right building blocks, yeah. uh, but somehow people are not moving to the third layer right now. So right. that is one thing that bothers me, which is why are we not moving away from this idea that, okay, I can recognize... Uh, from x-ray images, something from MRI images, something and all that. But when are we going to build the AI doctor on top, which right, is actually exactly. going to do the reasoning and diagnosis right? yeah, so so we need to move to the next level uh, while we have solved the lower levels is one one thing. Yeah. Second is uh, we need to do it differently. We cannot uh, because if 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 this is the amount of compute and data resources it takes, to yeah. build an amazing, you know, speech or, or vision system, yeah. then uh, not everybody can do it, right? And, and is this how humans do it is the is the real question that I keep asking, right? right? Humans are able to recognize things very easily with few examples. Right? Yeah. We don't need millions of examples. So I think we are missing something in the way we are practicing uh, deep learning kind of approaches we are missing something uh, and and uh, I call the current AI like a brute force AI. So right? right. lots of data and parameter will compute yeah, and something nice will come out. You don't have to worry about it. Just call the dot train function, it will do everything. Right? right, exactly. That is, that is not, uh, you know, that is, uh, uh, yeah, that, I don't, you know, then what is human intelligence in all of this? Right, exactly. Uh, only the five people who came up with the deep learning framework
0: uh, really invented AI, right?
1: Yeah. None of us have really done anything. We're just using their inventions and calling their routines, right? right. So, so I, I think there is a lot more going on. We need to step out, not go crazy about something that has worked. If Hinton had dropped the ball yeah. and said, look, you know, um, uh, SVM is great. You know, all these technologies are great. Right. Neural networks have died. He would have not thought, rethought about neural networks all over again from scratch. Right. And he said that in many places, right? We have to drop all our ideas that we have thought are, are useful, Yeah. completely drop them and go back to the whiteboard again and again and again. No matter how great our current systems are, yeah. we have to keep going back to the whiteboard because that is what humans do. We reinvent technology from scratch all over again, right? Same thing yeah. Einstein did. He could have said, oh, Newtonian Physics is there, everything is great. We are done with physics, right? Yeah. But he had to reinvent the whole thing in a different paradigm all over again. Yeah. No so I think that spirit is what is needed in AI. A lot of people just go with, you know, small tinkerings in existing frameworks yeah. and try to claim victory and publish the next little paper. Right. But I think fundamental new paradigms have to emerge, which will challenge even deep learning right. to the next level, right? And and. My goal of an intelligent system is, I call it an intelligence efficiency, which is with less data can you do more intelligence. Right, exactly. You cannot solve that equation, you have not really created a 2D intelligent system. Yeah. And that is what the holy grail should be, that can we figure out such paradigms, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, if we can, then you know we would be really uh, great at, at finding that that core principle behind intelligence itself. Yeah, thank you. Not brute
0: force and not all this. Yep, and in fact, uh, now that you mention it as well, I think uh, if if with less data we can do more intelligence. I think it also empowers the next wave of
1: entrepreneurs to
0: yes to do a lot.
1: Yeah, and yeah, uh, and, and you know, I keep talking about you know, if you don't have enough data, don't give up. In the sense that data thinking is you know, data science is not about data. I make this uh, claim very much all the time. Yeah people confuse data science with data as much as people confuse computer science with the computer. Right, yeah. Computer science has nothing to do with the computer, it's a computational way of thinking. Right. right? So, uh, you can manifest it in a computer, you can manifest it the same thing in a quantum computer, yeah. you can manifest the same thing in a biological computer. Computer right. science is computing art of computing. Similarly, data science has nothing to do with data. Yeah data science has everything to do with this art of formulation that I talk about. Right. How do you think about what is the state of an entity? Yeah. What are the actions you can take? What are the metrics it is going to affect? And if you can stitch that pipeline and create a learning loop, even if you start it with a very small amount of data and keep iterating, like when a baby is born, yeah. it it is not born with all the data, right? It, it learns over a period of time. Yeah. So, we need to create that infrastructure to learn over a period of time. Right. That is more important than uh, having the first infrastructure, uh, which is, uh, you know, already like full of data. And if you look at how Google has built it, right? Yeah. Uh, it didn't say, I have the perfect search engine on day one. Right. It exactly. said, with no data, I can only do this much. I right. can do a best match between query and document. Right. So, that is my version one of the search engine. Right. But when people start using it, I will start to collect data, then I have to start thinking completely differently about what a search engine should be. Right. I'm not going to give up on PageRank rank and, and document and, and query match. Yeah. But I'm going to add on top of it the next layer of intelligence, which is coming from right. right. So that that thinking of how do you take a product from you know a rule-based system first. Hmm. with no data at all, to the when you start collecting initial data, to collecting more data, how do you increase the complexity of it? And that is what humans do all the time, right? We learn to walk, then once we have mastered that, we learn to swim, once we have mastered that, we learn to kayak, once we have mastered that, we keep doing the next thing, right? Right. So that ability to think in those layers across a five year span of a company is what is needed there is no such thing as okay i've done with you know data science no right Yeah, have product right so that is the constant innovation that is possible
0: very true very true so this brings us to the end of an incredible 45 minutes and uh, thank you so much once again dr shailesh for taking out the time for this very refreshing conversation I hope this was helpful and enjoyable for everyone who tuned in. Please keep watching this space for more and I look forward to seeing you all in the next episode of Starting and Scaling AI Ventures. Goodbye.